you're new, all right? So go in the back. There's this whole Entenmann section. You guys know what I'm talking about at Publix? It's just this little thing in the aisle, okay? So there's a game I play. If it's a buy one, get one, I usually get one. I just I tell my wife when we're walking through, there's these cherry pies they sell there. And you guys know if you've been around, I love cherry pies. And so if it's a buy one, get one, I just trust that it's from the Lord that I'm supposed to get them, okay? So if you go to Publix today, trust that it's going to be from the Lord. And we're going to talk about the Lord's sovereignty today, that you're meant to buy those. And they come in these little individual packages, okay? There's about six per one. Just put them on a plate and serve them up at the party, okay? I will be available afterward for more ideas if you want them. Anyways, now that everybody's back and you got your books, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 18 this morning. And so I'm going to read, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this. Starting in verse 13, Solomon says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways in which you speak to us. And Lord, we just recognize even from the words that I just read, just Lord, we are absolutely dependent upon you for everything. And so, Lord, that's why we pause right now and we just ask, please soften our hearts. Lord, please take these truths found here in these verses and sow them into all of our hearts and minds. That they might bear a lot of fruit. That they might bear fruit at the appropriate time, Lord, when it's your timing for us. When we need these truths, Lord, now and down the road. And so, Lord, bless us as your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, I was traveling uh, with just my boys. And so I've got three boys, if you're new. Um, and I had the opportunity to travel about 10 hours in the car with them. And for most of the trip, we really didn't say much. Um, but there was, there was a, a number of conversations that we had. And somehow we got on the conversation about rebranding. And what I mean by that is like your name. So growing up, your parents gave you a name and then eventually, you know, you think through, is that the right name? Do I like that name? Um, And so we were were having that type of conversation. And I found out from a couple of them that that they kind of like their names, that 
they, they would be okay if they actually had different names. And so we laughed about it because they offered up some, some other names that they, they might want. But I also shared with them why I wanted them to have the name that I gave them. I wanted them to have something, and not just me, but my wife, Sarah, something that we felt was timeless. And so if you don't know, I have my three boys are Charles, Ben, and James. And so we wanted something that was timeless, something that felt strong, something that sounded like a farmer. That's probably one of the things they don't necessarily like about it. And, and yet there was another key part too. Is it, it had to be yelled well, if you know what I mean. Like if you go to a sporting event, you're not going to like yell out like something that just doesn't work. And I'm not going to say it because I don't want to offend some of you here because you probably got one of those names. But when your name is Charles, you can say, Charlie. And this is what I, I practiced this with my wife. And there was this one name I wanted and she wouldn't let me add, but I was able to add the, the Benny, you know, something like that, or Jimmy. And anyways, those were the names we gave them, but they, they, they wish they could change it, maybe, is what they were kind of getting at. And, I, and I, I get it. And so I only share that with you because we all have things in our life that we wish we could change. If we just sat around and we, we had a conversation, you'd probably come up with something in your life and just say, if I could change this about me, I'd be okay with changing that. There are moments in my life I, I wish I would have joined the military. If I could go back, I tried to get in, couldn't get in. Anyways, wanted to get in. If I could go back, I'd change that sometimes. And that changes for me daily, just so you know. I would have also liked to finish college and kept my truck when I went off to the pastor's college. And so when I went to the pastor's college, I sold my truck. And as I look back, and I was like, why did I do that? I, I wish I could go back and, and change that. And so there are other things as well. And so if you could change anything in your life today, what would that be? Would you change your appearance at all? Would you change any of your abilities? See, God has given us all different abilities. Some of us are really good at some things. Some of us aren't. And as we live life and we live life together with other people, sometimes you're aware that your abilities aren't as good as somebody else's abilities. Like, I can't do anything that these people do up here. I'd like to. I just can't do it. Would you change your job? If you had the opportunity, would you change your job? Would you change anything about your finances? Would, would you change your health? When James Montgomery Boyce preached his last sermon at Philadelphia's 10th Presbyterian Church, he knew he was dying of liver cancer. And he only had a few weeks to live. And during this sermon, which was on the sovereignty and the goodness of God, he stood up in front of his church and he asked them this question. If God does something in your life, would you change it? And again, he's talking about the sovereignty of God, just trusting God is at work in all things. God is reigning and ruling over everything. He is the creator of all things. He doesn't take naps and just let things happen in our lives. And he's a good God. And he's doing all these things for our good. And so he asked his church this question, knowing that he was about to die of cancer. If God does something in your life, would you change it? So he goes on to answer his own question by testifying to the goodness of God's sovereign will. And he said that if we tried to change what God has done, then it wouldn't be as good. We would only be making things worse. 
We are who we are, and our lives are the way they are because of God's good, sovereign will. If we had the power to change anything about who we are, we would never be able to make our lives any better than they are in the way in which God has created them and willed for them to be. The Lord always knows what is right, and he does what is right for his glory and for the good of his people. Today in our text, we're going to learn this. Since God is at work in all things, it is good for us to fear God in all things. Since God is at work in all things, it is good for us to fear God in all things. And so we're going to dig into this truth by taking a look at two points this morning. So in our first point, we learned that God is at work in both the good days and the bad days. In verse 13, Solomon calls for us to pay close attention to the work of God. Look at verse 13 with me. He says, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now, if anybody has ever paid close attention to the work of God, it, it, just, it would have been Solomon. He was a man whom God had given exceptional wisdom to. And it wasn't just sort of dropped into his mind. He was given a mind to pursue wisdom and to think about things. And that's what he gave his life to in many ways. And we have his recordings of it. Solomon was a man who he just, he loved to study life. He loved to think about the world around him and how it just sort of all worked its way out. And he loved to just sort of sit back and And look at people's lives and and what people typically do and the effect of of what happens when somebody does this consistently. And so he did this. He considered the work of God. And as he studied it, he, he, he saw that there's seasons of life. Things just sort of work in a certain way. And he's already told us about this earlier in this book. He told us there's a season to be born and there's a season to die. There's a season to laugh, and there's a season to mourn. You could insert time there as well. A season to save, and then there's a season to spend. There's a season or a time to work, and then there's a season or a time to rest. And so he studied people, how they lived, how they worked, how they worshipped, how they mourned, how they loved, and even their wickedness. He studied as much about life and this world as he possibly could with the hope of of just figuring it all out. How does this work? What's the purpose behind what we are called to do? And here we have, as we made it halfway through this book, he, he tells us now to focus our attention on God and what God is doing in this world. And so specifically, he asks this question, who can make straight what he has made crooked? What he's asking us to think about here is who in the world, this is an interesting thing. This is one of the concepts I love as we make our way through the book of Ecclesiastes is is he's already told us this, but he's just said, there's some crooked things in this world. There's some things that are just bent that we can't straighten out. And that's the way God has designed for them to be. And so specifically, he asks us that question. And what he's trying to get at here is that there are just things in this world that are outside of our control. 
There are things in this world that God has set into place that are crooked, and it doesn't matter how hard we try. We can't straighten these things out. If God in his sovereign rule and reign has determined for something to be, do you think, here's the question, do you think any of us have the power to usurp God's perfect plan and change something that he has determined to be? See, really what he's, he's after here is, do you really believe God is absolutely in control or not? And Solomon would just say he is. Because he's God. He's always ruling and reigning over all things. And he has created all things. And he's at work in all things. And he said, consider God. Consider his work. And he says, there's just some things that are crooked. And who's going to be able to straighten those things out? Do you think you can straighten them out? See, the answer to this question is no one. No one can straighten them out. God submits to no one. There's no one greater and there's no one more powerful than God. He alone rules and he alone reigns over all of his creation with perfect wisdom. With perfect wisdom. He, he always does the right thing at the right time with the right amount of effort, using the right amount of resources to get the right result. And it may not be the result you want. It may not be the result I want. It may seem a bit crooked. But it's the result God wants because he's the one who's reigning and ruling over all things. He alone knows the right thing. Now, this might be hard for some of us to admit at times because I think at least for myself, because of our pride. But this means that we're not actually in control of our own lives. Now, God's given us freedom within inside these boundary lines, and there's some mystery there as we try to really study it, because we do have freedom, but we're not actually in control. God is. If God in His goodness has determined for you to have crooked things in your life, then you don't have the power to straighten those things out. That's what Solomon, Solomon's just looking back at life and he, he recognizes God and he just says, consider God. Consider the world that God has placed you in. Consider the life that you're living. Consider those crooked things in your life that are just hard for you to get your mind around sometimes. Like, why in the world did it work out this way? Or I'm trying really hard to fix this and for some reason I can't fix it. What Solomon is just trying to say, well, that's because you're not in control. And sometimes there's just crooked things that are placed in our lives. And, and those things have a purpose because they come from a good and gracious God. Thomas Boston, now he's, he, he preached a message on this one verse back in the 1700s. And they made a book of it. I actually have, I think, four copies up front. Um, that I'm going to give away today. But so they turned it into a book. And he had this to say about God's sovereignty, especially in the midst of the crooked things in our lives. He says the following, there is a certain train or course of events by the providence of God falling to every one of us during our life in this world. And that is our lot as being allotted to us by the sovereign God. In that train or course of events, some fall out cross to us and against the grain, and these make the crook 
in our lot. While we are here, there will be cross events as well as agreeable ones. In our lot and condition, sometimes things are softly and agreeably gliding on. But by and by, there is some incident which alters that course, grates us, and pains us. Everybody's lot in this world has some crook in it. There is no perfection here. No lot out of heaven without a crook. Wouldn't it be nice? See, when I, when I think about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God and the goodness of God, I know that he's good. And so when I wake up, I want that soft and agreeable day. You know what I'm talking about? I, want, I don't want a crook in my lot. I don't want something that's going to go against the grain, that's going to make me uncomfortable or have to work harder than I thought I should have to work or, or experience any pain or suffering. We just kind of want soft and agreeable. But that's not the world that God has placed us into. We get soft and agreeable, don't we? There are many days we get soft and agreeable, or at least many moments in a day we get soft and agreeable. But we also get the crook in our lots, as Thomas Boston would call it. And, and part of that is because of God's goodness to us. God is at work in all of these things, revealing himself to us, and in some ways humbling us and revealing just how dependent we are upon him. We are absolutely dependent upon God for all things. The providence and sovereignty of God, it's humbling. Because it teaches us that God is the one who's always in control and we're not. It teaches us that God is always at work in the lives of those who love him for our good. The good days and the bad days. We have a good and kind and gracious God who's, who's still at work for our good. We might not be able to see the good in the moment. It might not feel very good in the moment. But the truth is... We have a good and gracious God who's doing and working all things out for our good. And it's so hard to get our minds around sometimes because it never feels that way, does it? But it's the truth. On the soft and agreeable days that just glide along, when we can just say, thank you, Jesus. That, that was such a great blessing. And then on those hard days, painful days, dark days, don't want to get out of bed days, losing days, no wins in those days. We have a good and gracious God who's at work in those days. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, Philip Ryken said the following. He said, we cannot change what God has done unless and until God wants to change it. We are under the power of the sovereign and omnipotent ruler of the entire universe. We do not have the power to edit his plan for our lives. I feel like it kind of just hits you in the face. When I read that, I was just like, yeah, that's it. A lot of days I, I get up, I make a plan, and I think through, this is what's going to happen today. This is what I want to happen today. But because I, I, I think this is true about God, is, is He also has a purpose and plan for our lives. And I want those things to align up. And a lot of times, sometimes they don't. 
But the good thing that hits us in the face is, is we don't have the power to edit any of his plans. So you may want this, you may be pursuing this, but in God's providence, in his goodness and his kindness, he has something else for us. And so it just sort of shifts. It's, 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 a, it's a mental shift, I think, when we think about who's really in control. You get what I'm saying? So you're going to do this today. You have these intentions for today. And what, I, what I've learned to say is that when they don't happen, I say, I guess the Lord wanted me to do this. I guess the Lord wanted me to spend my money over here instead of over here. I guess the Lord wanted me to spend time with this person instead of that person. It just, it's a constant thing that takes place all day. And I literally say that in my mind or I'll say it out loud if I have to because it's just a reminder I'm not in control. God is at work in all things, and he has the power to do whatever it is he wants to do with our lives because he's God. That's what Solomon's trying to teach us here as he just looks at everything and he says, consider God. Consider him in every day. And he goes on, he says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God has made your day of prosperity and he has made your day of adversity. God has made all the things you like about yourself in your life and he has made all the things that you find crooked about yourself and your own life. In the day of prosperity, Solomon says, just enjoy it. On those soft and agreeable days that just glide along, enjoy them. Enjoy every minute of it. Be happy for it. Thank God for them. Every day like this, it's a gift from God, and we're just called to enjoy it. This means that we recognize the good days and the good times, they're gifts from God. Now, I want you to do a second for me, or I want you to do something. Everybody close your eyes for a moment. This kind of seems like a funny exercise, but just take a deep breath. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. Take a deep breath and breathe it out. Just do that a couple times. Okay, if you just did that, guess what that means? You're alive. I know it sounds silly, but you're alive. You're, you're breathing. God is at work. He's sustaining you. We have brothers and sisters who aren't here today. But God is at work in your life, and he's called you to be here, and he's sustaining you. Now look around this room for a second. Just look at each other in the eyes. I know this is going to seem weird, but I think it's meaningful to look in the eyes. Okay, what, what do you see? Hopefully you see people. And you know what that means? That means you're not alone. So you're alive and you're not alone and you have family and you have friends and God has called you to live out your life together with all of these people. That, that, that's a good thing. That's a gift from God. There's a reason to rejoice today. There's reason to rejoice in God's goodness, in his blessings. But God's also blessed us with all the adversity we face in life. Some of us are walking through it at this very moment. Solomon wants us to know that God has not left us alone in the midst of adversity to figure it out. He actually wants us to know that God is at work in the midst of those good days and those bad days as well. 
He doesn't leave us. He doesn't just say, hey, you got yourself into that mess and I'm going to be over here. Tell me when you get out of it. No, if we believe in a good, gracious, sovereign God, we know he's at work in those good days and in those bad days as well. And it's usually in those bad days where we probably learn the most by God's grace, where our hearts are soft and And typically in those bad days, what I've experienced personally and what I've experienced as I've helped others walk through bad days is is there's just a tenderness. There's a a soft heart in those moments where, where you just realize, Lord, I desperately need you to do something here. If you don't show up and save this person's life, they're not gonna make it. If you don't change my kid from the direction that he's going, I don't know what's going to happen to him. Or whatever it is that bad day might be. There's a tenderness in those moments for God-fearing people where they're they're just waiting and trusting for God to do something. And I think that's how those days are supposed to work. Where our hearts are soft. And they can be exhausting, can't they? Honestly. like We love the good days because they're not exhausting. But those days of adversity, they're exhausting. In so many ways, they, they, it, we're, we're up more than we should be. We're crying out to God more than we should be. We find ourselves talking more to people for help than we should be sometimes. And it's just exhausting because we ne- recognize we can't do anything to fix it, but only God can. And that's what Solomon's trying to help us to understand here is that good day, bad day, God's always at work. Do you believe that? In our second point, we learn that God alone determines the number of days we have to live. Verse 15, in my vain life, he says, I've seen everything. There wasn't much, again, that he hadn't observed and studied during his life. Looking hard and long at everything he possibly could. In these next three verses, we have two observations that he shares about what he saw. And so in verse 15, he goes on, he says, there's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. At first glance, it would seem like Solomon is a bit confused by the fact that he sees good people dying and young or dying young and evil people living long lives. This is one of the things, honestly, if you look at it, I, I think it, it can confuse all of us at different times in our own life. I mean, who hasn't struggled with wondering why seemingly really good godly people die early? And then some evil dictator who's running a country is allowed to live a long life and he's making life miserable for all the people that he's sort of ruling over. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense sometimes. Why that evil person gets to live a long life. And that's what Solomon's just saying. I've, I've seen everything and this is what I've observed. I've seen righteous people die young and evil people, their life is prolonged, in fact, by their evil doing. Again, he's just helping us to understand we're not really in control. We're not in control of much. We don't ultimately know what is best for this world and even our own lives and only God knows this. This is how I kind of reconcile hard truths. Things that we're trying to get our our minds around. Why does it work out this way? Have you thought about that? 
What, what do you do when you get to the point of like, well, that's not the way I would do it. I, I, would, I would probably let the evil, wicked man die for his evil, wicked things early. In fact, let's not even let him be born. Let's just, let's just get rid of all of that. And let's let that righteous person live a long life. And that's not the world we live in. So, so why isn't it that way? Well, how I reconcile and I work through it, I, there's, there's details for it. But I always go back to the character of God. Who is he? Well, last time I checked, he, he's God. He's the creator of all things. He's perfect in all of his ways. He, he always knows what he's doing. And so he obviously must know what he's doing, right? So Solomon's just helping us work through these things and helping us really come to this conclusion in many ways. You're not God, and I'm not either. We're not the ones who are ultimately in control of our own lives, and we're not in control of this world. He, he knows where it's going. Righteous men and women aren't guaranteed a long life because of their righteousness. And wicked people aren't guaranteed a short life because of their wickedness. It's all part of God's plan. Solomon sees this and concludes the following. He says, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Now, it's just, it's interesting here. It's just listening to him. So he sees righteous people dying early, wicked people living a long life. And then he kind of concludes and he just says, don't be overly righteous and don't be overly wicked. Don't be a fool. Just kind of like, just fit in there. Is that what he's saying? I don't necessarily think that's, that's what he's calling us to. He's not calling us to just live a life of moderation. He's not calling us just to be a little righteous or not too wicked in the sense of just making room for sin to remain because that's not how Scripture talks about it. So Solomon's not teaching us here that it's okay to sin. It's okay to be just a little bit wicked. It's okay to, to make room for a little bit of your, your own sins, excusing it in your own way. Now, what he's doing here is he's exposing our sin. He's exposing our sin, specifically our self-righteousness. When he says, be not overly righteous, he, he's really saying, do not be self-righteous. Do not think for one second that you can prolong any of your days. This is really important. Do not think for one second you can prolong your life in any way longer than God has already determined it to be because you are going to do good things for God. Does that make sense? We're talking about being self-righteous. You trying to make yourself better in the sight of God, so that you might be rewarded by God, in this case, with a longer life. That's what Solomon's getting at. He's just saying, listen, you're not in control of that. That's not how it works. Self-righteousness doesn't get you anything with God. It doesn't prolong your life. It doesn't give you any favor. Overly righteous people are self-righteous people. They're people who depend on and trust in their own abilities to be good people to gain favor with God. See, the problem with being self-righteous is, is it, it tricks us into thinking we're actually in control. And that's just one of the problems. It tricks us into thinking that we're actually 
in control. Self-righteous people kind of live out their lives thinking two plus two equals four, meaning if I read my Bible, if I show up to church, if I have a good marriage, if I do this with my kids and not that with my kids, and if I never say these words and I only drink soda and water and stay away from all those bad things over here, and I do this, basically, if I just live a good life, it equals great rewards from God. And what Solomon is saying, that's, not, that's just not the way it works. That's called being self-righteous. That's calling being dependent upon self. Does not prolong your life. Solomon is also exposing our unbelief and unrighteousness here by telling us not to be a fool. We shouldn't be self-righteous and we shouldn't think that it's okay to be unrighteous either. The penalty for sin is death and the wrath of God. We must not ever take our own sin lightly. See, fools, and he's saying don't be a fool, he's saying, but fools make room for sin to remain in their lives. Fools think that sin is really not that big of a deal. Fools make an excuse for their folly. Fools ignore God. Fools don't trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. But as Solomon teaches us here, fools will suffer at the hands of God for their foolishness and sin. So Solomon's not teaching moderation. No, what he's teaching us here is to ultimately put all of our hope and all of our trust for this life and the next in God alone. This whole book, he's, he's driving home this point. You look out at life, sometimes it doesn't make sense. And the reason it doesn't make sense is because you're not the one in charge. And so the key, as we seek to live our life, is, is to trust the one who's in charge. And not just trust him, but to fear him. To live out our lives recognizing that God is the one who's always at work. God's the one who knows the number of our days. God's the one who knows how many breaths we're going to breathe. He knows when we're going to breathe that first breath, and he knows when we will breathe our very last breath. See, we can't be good enough to gain a few extra years, and we can't be bad enough to shorten the life that God has given to us. He's got a perfect plan for our lives that fits into His perfect plan for all of creation. And the key is to fear Him and recognize that it's Him and His ways that we're called to. This means that we are called to worship Him in all things. This means that we're to consider His works and His ways better than our ways. It means that we don't trust in ourselves to save us, but instead we trust in Jesus Christ to be our Savior. It means that by the grace of God, we pick up a cross and we follow Jesus. We deny ourselves. And we seek to obey him with the lives he's given to us. Philip Ryken says the following. He says, to fear God is to revere God. It is to know that he is God and we are not. It is to hold him in awe for his majestic beauty. It is to have respect for his mighty and awesome power. Having the true and proper fear of God will help us not to be self-righteous. We will know that God sees us as we really are, and this 
will teach us not to pretend to be something we're not. The fear of God will also keep us from living a wicked life because when we understand his holiness, the last thing we'll want to do is to fall under his judgment. So in closing, let me ask you just to consider a few questions. Number one is this. Do the crooked things in this world and in your life cause you to trust God? Do those difficult things drive you to recognize you're not in control, but God is? Number two, when life doesn't seem to make sense to you, do you recognize that you are not in control? And do you thank God that he is the one who's ruling and reigning over all things? And finally, if you could change anything in your life right now that God has established and determined to be good for you, would you still change it? Consider the work of God, church. God has created all things. He's created you in his likeness after his image. He's sustaining all things. He's sustaining your very life at this moment. Consider his work in sending his son Jesus to live in your place and to die for all of your sins. Consider that he's God. And he's perfect. Perfect in all his ways. And he's at work in your life right now. Good day, bad day. Let's trust the Lord. Let's fear the Lord in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, you'd guide and lead us. Lord, into greater fellowship with you and greater fellowship with one another. Lord, help us to genuinely fear you as we seek to live out our lives today. Lord, help us to enjoy the gifts that you have given to us from the very next breath we breathe to all that we encounter. And may we enjoy them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank